Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is meet the champion. Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar knobs and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Unky Danny Vincent. I don't know. I don't have a joke. I watched this movie two days ago. So, yeah. I'm Unky Danny, I guess. Who else is with you? I don't know. That's I, was just, for, just... I was waiting for a lead in. Um, well, hello. I cannot even begin to tell you how <laughs> pleased I am to make your acquaintance. This is my Northeastern accent. I'm Sarah. I, uh, well, my actual uncle name is Uncle Coco, but I am Caleb. Let's let's get this party rolling. All right. So I won't do the full countdown because this is a two-parter, but I'll just recap that we are at the 31st Academy Awards. This is the year where Gigi got nine nominations and won all nine of them. And the Defiant ones also had nine nominations, but won two. Then a film called Separate Tables had seven nominations and two wins. Then another movie called I Want to Live had six nominations and one win. And then there were two films with six nominations and no wins. One of them was Canada on a Hot Tin Roof, which you can listen to in our last episode. Um, well, you can still talk about it. We did not put the entire audio file of the film in there. Ha ha ha, bad joke. But the other one is called Anti-Me, uh, directed by Marvin Leroy, M- Morton DaCosta. They all, all these, all these names kind of blend together to me. Um, Sarah- Leroy hasn't done a movie in a while. Right? Yeah, maybe he's so. dead at this point. I don't know. Uh, Sarah, what was what was uh, Auntie Mame nominated for? Um, yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to Gigi. Best Actress for Rosalind Russell, who lost to Susan Hayward for I Want to Live. Uh, Rosalind Russell, she was nominated three more times. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Peggy Cass, who lost to Wendy Hiller for Separate Tables. Uh, Best Art Direction for Malcolm Burtz and George James Hopkins. Um, And they lost to William E. Horning, E. Preston Ames, Henry Grace, and F. Co. Gleason for Gigi. Um, Burt was nominated for, was also nominated for Star is Born, the 50s version. Um, And Hopkins was nominated eight more times and won four. Uh, Best Cinematography Color for Henry Stradling, who lost to Joseph Rettenberg for Gigi. Uh, Stradling was nominated 11 more times and won two. And Best Editing for William Zegler, who lost to Adrian Fazan for Gigi, female winner. Um, and Zegler was nominated two more times. Caleb, do you have any historic context for Anti-Mame? So we've talked about the 20-year cycle on this podcast. However, there's also a theory around the 30-year cycle. Basically, nostalgia is always in and people are always nostalgic. This is an interesting 30-year cycle movie, though, because it begins in 1928, and the earliest movie we've covered this year, or on this podcast, was from 1928. That was The Crowd. So, Auntie Mame could have watched The Crowd. Good for her. She's watching movies better than the one she's in. Ayo! That's me tipping my hands a bit. Although, not really, because I think The Crowd is one of the best movies watched on here, so it'd be pretty hard for a movie to be better than it. <laughs> but um is that uh 
I think that's interesting. Think about the 30-year cycle, because that means we should be... Well, I mean, we know we're already hitting 90s nostalgia, because the big thing on Disney Plus's page right now is the Santa Clauses about Christmas getting canceled. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched it. But... Or like the Space Jam sequel. So we are hitting like that 90s nostalgia point now. It's going to be weird a couple of years when we hit that 2000s nostalgia. What will 2000 nostalgia even look like? Will it I be mean, Shrek 2000s, 2000s nostalgia well, is already kind of here. It's kind of, yeah, they're kind of together. Mostly, it's mostly fashion and music. Like you had the, like all the pop punk revival stuff last couple of years. There was going to be the, the Lizzie McGuire reboot. Well, yeah, when I was more, yeah, I'm more referring to like in, I don't want to be like in media because obviously music is media um, and fashion is fashion. But I'm thinking more like, you know, like we are currently in an age of Hollywood where it's all IP getting rebooted over and over again. What is the weird 90s IP that's going to come back? I know what the 2000 one is going to be. It's obviously going to be National Treasure. Um, but <laughs> well, that, yeah, that that is coming back. No, no, I the mean, like, I mean, so... like a Nick, I mean, like a movie with Nick Cage, I think will come back within the next five years. Um, but that's just- yeah, but the thing is, once you get to the late 2000s, like most of that IP is still around. Like, we're going to start having IP for phase one of the Marvel. I universe. mean, I was going like, to say, um, now that I'm thinking about it, we do have a film. Uh, the big December movie is really Avatar at this point is a nostalgia thing. It's not really like an Avatar sequel. It's like, let's go back to what it was in 2009 with Pandora. You know, I just feel like nobody yeah. really has nostalgia for Avatar. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Avatar like is going into this big reevaluation because of the sequel making people actually watch it again. I don't think, yeah, it's kind of it's a weird case. <laughs> there are people, um, like I know you were talking mainly about movies, but you do see the two thousands nostalgia a lot on TikTok as well. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, the big thing with two thousand nostalgia, I feel like it's been for the last few years on the internet and movies and related to TikTok and memes is Shrek memes, like. They're up, they've always been around. They'll never go away. Shrek and SpongeBob memes. And I know TikTok is all over that because I'm not on TikTok. Do you have anything else about anti-meme? Or should we just talk about any meme? Let's just go for it. All right. Um, do you want me to go first? Or what? I haven't gone first actually in a while. Um, I can go first. Um, to rip off the band-aid, I thought this was uh, probably the second worst movie you've ever watched. <laughs> uh, it is a slog to get through. It has no, and I know what you guys are going to say. This has no plot. Danny, you like Friendly Persuasion. Friendly Persuasion was about Quakers. This is about the typical class comedies we watched about, actually, we're talking about a 20-year cycle, about 20 years prior to when this movie came out. The difference is this has no plot. There's no real flow to the movie. And again, those movies all clocked in around 90 minutes, 100 minutes. This is 144 minutes long. And it feels every second of it. I did not enjoy it. I thought it was really bad. I disagree. You agree? I disagree. Okay, well then, okay, go go for it. I don't know. I thought it had a very cohesive plot. That was about a woman who lives her life. Live, live, live. Um. No, I thought it was good. I thought that it, I don't know, it felt it felt complete to me. It felt cohesive to me. I think that it had a through line. I think that it was well presented. I wouldn't say it's like the best thing that we watched, but I think that Rosalind Russell was worth it to watch it. Nobody else really like was that important, so it didn't really matter. No, I thought it was good. 
All right, Caleb, break our tie. You know, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, man, the, the thing I want to talk about most is how this handles wealth, and that has nothing to do with my actual opinion of the movie. Uh, it's it's fine. Um, I do think that Rosalind Russell puts in a pretty strong performance that carries uh, the movie throughout. Because of its nature of being like focused on different periods of her life, some periods are more interesting than others. Our little foray back into uh, the South with uh, her uh, courting this one guy, I found very boring and um, made me think like, oh man, this movie's going to completely go downhill. But then that guy dies and the movie gets good again. So it's just kind of a, I, I think overall it works. What I do find interesting about this is how this uh, anti-mame has money that I assume was inherited that she all has in stocks. She loses them eventually when the Great Depression hits, but it never questions, even though like she has Marxist friends and she's has very like radical uh, opinions on things, it never questions the system that led to the stock market crash. And I think that's because in the 1950s, with the post-war economic boom that America was like experiencing, there is less class consciousness. Where I think even in some of those class comedies, you can just see, oh, this is just pure escapism. But this far out, with addressing like some more spicier ideas than those class comedies addressed, I feel like it should be more critical of her acclamation of wealth. And it isn't. I think... Well, we're all coming at this at different angles, I feel like. I think, even though I disagree with it, I sympathize with Sarah's more. <laughs> because, not not to, dis- not to be like, Caleb, what? But also, it's like, I don't know, I never expected this to be, like, an indictment of the system at any point. Um, I was just bored with it. But, like, I wasn't bored of it because I didn't feel like it was being politically, it wasn't being politically um, inter- in- interrogative enough, you know? Uh, I just thought it was boring, but I don't think it refusing to take a stand in the stock market really affects that. Like the stock market crash and capitalism really has much to do with that. Um, it's not it, for me. It's not a this makes the movie bad or make, this makes the movie good. It's a I find that interesting. Mm. Do one of you? I, I'll say right now. I watched this two nights ago, and I was really bored by it. Someone else should lead this week in talking about the plot. Me. I just I all I want to say is I just feel like this movie this movie is not for the straights. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> There's a part at the beginning <laughs> where she's like writing down all these words that you don't know, and then her little nephew writes heterosexual, and she's like, "We don't need to talk about that." I just feel like she's such like the like kind of kind of fruity aunt that's just kind of like there, and like sometimes she has like her other aunt your other aunt at her house she just she gives out that vibe the nephew gave out that vibe i just okay <laughs> I'll, I'll be wait wait i want to be honest for a second as negative as i've on this movie i really did enjoy the first half hour once the stock market crash hits and it becomes less focused on hey i got a random kid living with me i'm lose a lot of my interest in it you know like i'm just i don't care as much about her as i care about their relationship and by the time we pick up that thread again the actors change so my connection's gone but all that to say is that yes that moment <laughs> it's listing up words he doesn't say i was like all right maybe maybe i will enjoy this but i really like her introduction too 
Um, but yeah. Uh, well, it I is, feel like as a as a as a straight guy who likes <laughs> plenty of movies that are not for the straights, I was definitely getting that vibe for the bits that I did like. <laughs> I just I feel like I feel like to be this might be the, one of the deepest things that I've said on this podcast. I feel like the movie it's okay that sometimes it's a little boring because it's about her life. And I feel like she goes through these periods and you see it in her apartment, you see it in her wardrobe, you see it in her hair where it's like, it's showing pardon my pun, the ups and downs of her life. And I just feel like it fits tonally with the whole picture. I can see that. My, my thing is, the thought I had when I was watching this is that this is like um, a movie like a biopic, even though it's not based off a real person. It reminds me of weirdly. Well, enough, it's, kind of, about, it's kind of based off a real person. Okay, we can get into that later because I don't know about that. But it reminds me of Respect, which was the um, Aretha Franklin doc, not documentary. I wish it was the docu- documentary, it's way better. Um, biopic that came out last year that I was just like so incredibly bored with because I don't. I, Maybe, and again, you guys can call me on and say, Danny, you like other movies that don't have arcs, but it's like, I, I'm i at a loss of what to even care about with Mame's relationship to others, because it is kind of like just floating, and you think it's going to settle on the nephew, but then I don't, I don't feel like it does, personally. I think the most it settles on is the scene where like her staff talks to her, and they try to give her a gift, if I remember right. Um, also, the other side thing I wanted to say before we really get into like the plot or like who Auntie Mame really was is the person that Caleb said he didn't like um, was almost my joke intro because he his voice and I know it's just a southern voice, but to me it was very Benoit Blanc with the type of over the top uh, <laughs> southern to me. And Caleb's gonna be like, Danny, I know plenty of people who talk like that. How dare you! stereotype i know <laughs> i know nothing who sounds like Bonette blanc i know no one well to me the person in this movie sounded like Bonette blanc that's all i'm saying the, the guy who she eventually marries goes a plantation are you guys calling him ben 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 lot blanc what are you calling him it's ben Benoit, Benoit. right ben Benoit Benoit. Blanc. well it's, it's more fun to, if it's more fun to pronounce the t but i'm sure someone pretty sure like michael shannon or someone in that movie pronounces it wrong probably tony clett um but anyway this movie is about a rich woman named mame there's a guy who writes a will he has a son he dies literally the next day which i feel like legally they maybe should not use that will um i wanted to know who voiced him i can't find oh him. i don't know <laughs> and then so his son goes to live with his aunt the titular Auntie Mame, and she lives a crazy life, like Great Gatsby life, but like even crazier. Um, because they're all like liberal. And <laughs> sorry, I just love the way you said that. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, and so the son is like, he's just living his life. He's like, and then there's this this bank guy, Babcock, who's like instructed by the dad to make sure the son goes down the righteous path. So then like Mame and the the son, the nephew Pat Patrick. Um, yeah, Patrick. 
they kind of like only connect at certain points because of how our custody works and because he goes to school and stuff. And then, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the stock market crash happens and then she has to get a job and then she meets a Southern oil baron and then she becomes rich again. And then um, he falls off, he falls a, off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, she starts to write a biography and then she has a, a secretary named Gooch. And then there's, an Academy Award nominated secretary. Yeah, I know that was pretty. I was. I remember that there was another acting nomination, and then I saw that, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I was very what too. Uh, Although I also wow. don't know who else I. I, I guess I kind of get it because she's like the big broad. Well, she yeah. Role. Well, she also like she won the Tony for that for that role, but it's like. Well, I it was. I did stage. like when she, she's like she's like I'm gonna fix myself a Dr Pepper. <laughs> um, what else happens? And then the the sun grows up. Patrick grows up. Grows up. He meets a a New England woman, and her family is perhaps appropriately, but also sadly, or topically, uh, her family is anti-Semitic. Um, so Mame is like not about that. And then she tries to upstage them, but it turns into this big circus. And then the nephew falls in love with a woman named Najin. Um, and then. That's basically the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, no I like the part, movie, but I don't. I don't know. There's so much to it that it's just like that's it. <laughs> I yeah, feel no like part lasts for too long, and they all are very different tonally from one another. Um, I think by the end, it kind of all wraps back together. But like, the reason I didn't like that southern segment was because I'm like, oh man, this is. It's taking it's taking Mame out Where's from Big the Daddy? environment. Where's Big Daddy? <laughs> it, it was it was giving me it was giving me some mendacity, but um, <laughs> it's like taking her out of her prime environment and stuff. So it, it just changed the tone a little bit too much for me. Um, but I do think it's interesting to see how they balance. She is very eccentric and is definitely widening Patrick's landscapes in many ways. Like he knows how to make a perfect martini. But you never feel like she's being irresponsible. Like you don't think that he's drinking that martini. You just think that he picked it up from her. I think to me, the issue here for me really comes down to the length of the film. Because this is long. This is like, I feel like I'd have to like, you know, letterbox sort it. But I think this might be the second longest thing we've watched after Quovitis. I can't think of something that would be, you know, in between there. Maybe I should just check instead of just speaking out of my ass. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, it's long. It's a long movie. I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking about that. Like, is there movies that, obviously we've watched a few of these. Are there movies that have come out, like, recently? That are like this kind of like anthology style. I just thought of I just thought of one, which is Vice. But I don't want to I don't want to reference Vice. Well, I think it reminds me of Vi- it reminds me of biopics. Like yeah, respect was the when I gave. Um, oh wait, is Peyton, Peyton Place, Place longer, is this? longer than this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Peyton Place had a plot. This is a messy plot, but still a plot. I feel like this had more of a plot than Peyton. This had more focused of a plot. Also, Guys and Dolls was longer than this. But Guys and Dolls has dances, so I'm okay with that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Guys and Dolls doesn't this, have a plot that lasts that long. It's just, should this have been a musical? Do you think that would have helped us? It does yes, become a musical. And, 
And it's also written by the people who wrote the bandwagon, I believe. It's like the MGM writers who wrote all the musicals. The musical starred uh, Angela Lansbury. Rest in peace. Oh. And I saw Lucille Ball start in a remake of it. Oh, there were uh, her going from job to job after the stock market crash gave me I Love Lucy vibes. Yeah, this is from the writer of Singing in the Rain, the bandwagon. So, like, it should have been a musical. (laughs) Well, isn't the director, didn't he do uh, uh, the music man? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Rosalind. Well, no, because it was on stage. So, uh, did Rosalind Russell ever do musicals? Um, I don't know. eh, I don't know. I only know, I think I really only know, like, her from slapstick comedies. Uh, yeah, it looks oh, she's like... In, she's in Gypsy. She's in no, Gypsy. She, won, she won a Tony for Best Musical. Yeah. For, yeah, for Gypsy. Sorry, I just opened it. Sorry, you're right, you're right. She, for Best Actress in a Musical, you're right. Sorry. Oh my gosh, she died young. That's sad. I didn't know that. So at 69. Should we talk about the orient, Orientalism throughout this movie? <laughs> Yeah, that's something that stuck out to me that I immediately paused yeah. and looked up to see who played the character. <laughs> I mean, obviously it was an actor who was like that. I mean, he was I, mean, I don't know. An I'm Asian just surprised. That? <laughs> it was I'm obviously just... an Asian actor. <laughs> yeah, who knows if he was actually Japanese. But Auntie Mame, when they first get to her apartment, her he apartment Japanese, changes. By the way. He, he, he was Japanese, was, uh, but he was born yeah. in Sacramento. Well, no, no. I, I, we have to acknowledge he was in internment camps, so like he was Japanese. Like he got sent to. It, yes, camps. it is not a breakfast at Tiffany's level yeah. thing, but um, when we first get to Auntie Mame's apartment, which changes decor all the time, um, it is made to look very, uh, you know, like a like a Disneyland esque version of vague Asian building. Um, there's a. Uh, admittedly a very cool door with a dragon on it that when you knock on it like blows smoke and stuff um and then you go inside and there's like a chinese lantern and all this stuff but most prevailingly there is uh her butler who is a japanese man who speaks in broken english um and it's just it's very weird because it's never like it's never that big of a plot point but then he keeps coming back every time i forgot about him and it really i do think undercuts goodwill i have towards the movie yeah i'd agree but i also think as i said to me one of the best scenes of the movie is seeing where he and the um i think it's the maid go up to her and they're like i I think they try to give her a present uh i was like this is like a nice scene where she does she's not doing because the thing about mame is I get the vibe that she's eccentric, but she's putting on the eccentricity to, like, you know, impress others. So in this scene where it's just the two of her talking to her staff, it's like she lets the guard down a bit. And that's why I think I like it. Um, but I can't remember exactly when the scene was. So <laughs> Interesting. So the scene's at Christmas. I think and... it was around. Yeah. Wait, I have to say something and, about um, the, I have to say something about the butler because I can't hold this in any longer. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So the actor, Yuki Shimoda. Born in Sacramento, was in one of the camps, internment camps during the, during World War Two. Just disturbing. It's just disturbing. Well, I think that it's it's. I think I've kind of touched on this before, where it's like 
we have these movies that are meant to be kind of these like more progressive movies and like obviously like I've touched on it before but anti-semitism is like kind of a, a key thing in this movie so it is kind of typical that you would have this actor who was again born in America which doesn't make a difference but was born in America who was in an internment camp who then has to be in this this role it just it's very typical of Hollywood and I would I mean I, I hate to say like it's not I mean it's typical of Hollywood at any point in time not just this particular time period I mean look at I think she said produced by Brad Pitt I think um, when you said liberal, that's a pretty good actually describer because that's how like liberalism functions. It puts on an air of progressivism, but it still relies on like systems and like assumptions of you know racism, sexism, however, uh, whatever topic you're talking about. It's like, oh yeah, of course this person would have an appreciation for other cultures and would like hang out with very liberal-minded people. But she would also have, like, she's she's appropriating those cultures. And, you know, she has, not her, I can't put this on her. The movie has this, uh, you know, character who has a very racist way of speaking. What I was also, so looking at his, not his IMDb, looking at his Wikipedia, his career, this is his first film, the actor's first film. Afterwards, he is in a film called Career that does not have a Wikipedia page, so I don't know what that is. But then the rest of the credits for the few years after are uncredited things where it's like Japanese Colonel, Kim, Gardner, Japanese Man. And then he plays like secretaries and, you know, he plays a Chinese funeral director in one of her films. And then like naval officers and prime ministers in World War II movies. Um, but then, in a bit of a better deal, is he, well, he plays... The Manservant in Johnny Midnight, which is a one-season TV show, the last 39 episodes. So it sounds kind of like a Green Hornet ripoff. But the thing I noticed on his Wikipedia page is that, you know, he originated this role on Broadway. And he was a very big role in the original production of Pacific Overtures, the Stephen Sondheim musical. Um, He plays uh, Lord Abe. So... I, it seems to me like someone who might have had more of a thriving life on theater because his wiki only listed Broadway credits. So I have to hope that when he was in L.A., maybe he was on the theater scene there getting better work than what this is, you know? Well, <laughs> and we've talked about in the past how Hollywood had kind of an ongoing project post-World War II to rehabilitate the public's perception in Japanese yeah. people. And so that's maybe why he had a brief stint in movies is because there was more of a intention to like put those type of roles in projects. But of course, you know, you can't really name any big Japanese stars from the fifties. And that's because that project was pretty half-hearted. Yeah. Well, because honestly, I don't know. He's playing, he's playing a racial stereotype, but he has presence. Like he seems to me like he was probably, especially, you know, like, he was a major role in the Sondheim production first show run, he probably was a pretty great actor, at least for the stage. Sarah. Yeah. 
You said this was based on a real person, kind of. Who is the real anti-meme? I want to know. <laughs> oh, I didn't look too deeply into it. So this is based on a novel. Um, and it's it's the guy's name Edward Everett Tanner the third. Um, but he used the name Patrick Dennis um as a pseudonym. So the novel is technically based on his real aunt. Um, who was you know, kind of the same deal. She was eccentric. She was. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, no, I'm, so no, people no, are, I'm, so I'm people... laughing because I'm imagining like Auntie Mame entering like a death match with the mom. No, 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 no. I said they're both based off like the relatives. Of no, no, no. I said, I said, never mind, just because um, people in his life made the connection. And he said mm. that she was not based off of his real aunt. So mm. clearly it was written in such a way that it was like so strongly influenced that even people who you know weren't related were like, hey, that's your real aunt. And he did not like that. So <laughs> sometimes you're too close to something to see how it's in it's inspiring you. What I also wanted to say about this movie that surprised me that has really nothing to do with the movie, and maybe I'm preempting what you guys are gonna add as a nomination, but I doubt it. Is that, you know, I checked out this DVD from the library, which might be another reason I was grumpy about it, because around the 40 minute mark, it skipped 15 minutes. So I had to rent it so I could watch the actual movie because I was like, come on. Um, but, you know, there's always the normal double, the, no, the normal bonus features like here's a trailer for the remake of Lucille Ball. Um, but then weirdly enough, there was an option to listen to it just with and I, I wish I had the box for me so I quoted, but it was like the acclaimed score. On its own, so you can just listen to that while watching the movie without hearing any of the dialogue. And I'm like, that's very unusual because I'm looking at this. The score does not seem like it was very, like, it wasn't nominated for score. Um, it did get a Grammy nomination for best score, which I think is kind of unusual. But, yeah, uh, what'd you guys, because to me, the score didn't stick out at all. Well, personally. are you, so, I do feel like, I did have a DVD once. I maybe it was like High Society or something that was like only it was an option to only listen to the score. Well, I know recently The Last Jedi lets you do that if you have the DVD. That's, like you can yeah. watch it with just the John Williams score. Um, which I, I thought the score was a cool was, option. Yeah, I just yeah, it's interesting. Um, I thought the score was okay. I really only noticed it in like the the opening credits, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I like the overture. I think there was one song at one point that I kept thinking was Bon Jovi from Beauty and the Beast. Um, other than that, like, <laughs> I, I think, think it's it, good, I, I don't remember exactly when that was either, but I do remember that sticking out to me. It's like, oh, that was that was funny. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> I like. Uh, I do like. If I have to name things I like in the movie, I like the sight gag of being told, "I'll find you a job," and her name's like at the very bottom of the marquee. Um, that was a fun bit. I mean, I think the I movie think had a lot of sight gags here. The movie had a lot of good physical comedy. I think that last scene where they're all like the couches, where she has like the the pulley things for the couches, and there's like a point where she gives the woman the drink, and then she like pulls it back, like stuff like that. I think is I like stuff that's like well choreographed. I mean, let's let's be very real here, and by let's be real, I mean let's maybe real here for a second. I think Rosalind Russell in a certain other movie delivers one of the greatest comedic performances of all time. <laughs> so she's obviously a very talented woman. Um, and I think she comes, I, to me, the material's not there, but she is always very good at this. 
Um, and a lot of that's that she's very comfortable doing that physical comedy and like, you know, fast talking, obviously. Do you well, think his girl Friday, of course. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like she's able to show a lot of different facets of one character throughout the film. Um, like, and it always feels like it's consistently anti-mame, but anti-mame at the beginning of the movie is very different from the end of the movie, which makes sense. That's what happens over, you know, a decade or so, however long this movie takes place. But I, I, I was always impressed with how she grounds that character and finds new ways to keep making things funny. What'd you guys think of? Um, I don't want to say, no, when I say it like that, it sounds like I'm like attacking it. I don't mean to, but I felt like the ending was a little weird <laughs> for like in India. <laughs> that was a little weird or going to India. It's I mean, her next obsession. Like, yeah. Uh, all right. I mean, it's like, I think as we've already kind of, <laughs> I think you need to get, keep up. No, I mean, I think, I think we already kind of touched on it where it just kind of, it is kind of that like, oh, she's a, she's a white you know, liberal woman who's like, yeah, look at fair. my trinkets. I do it like circles back to that Orientalism at the beginning. Yeah, and I kind of different I country. Do, I do like the kind of like circular thing where it's like, oh, look, now she's a crazy kid again, and she's going to be just how she was at the beginning of the movie. Nice little circle. Um, but also now she's got great. Now she's got a wig, <laughs> great wig on. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I do think it's... the hairdressers in this movie they they had their work cut out for them. Mm. I, I do think it's kind of sad that like she presumably found someone that she really loved and then he died this horrible death. I mean, like she's really <laughs> that sad about it. Like, you know, she kind of moves on really quickly, which is just, it makes sense. That's her character. But like, yeah. I do kind of feel the other, that's like another tonal. Their mute cute's nice. That's just another tonal issue with the movie. It's coming off of the most sincere segments. The most the most sincere segment in uh, like the Christmas and all that stuff. And then it follows up immediately with this very dark joke. R.I.P. I'll miss you, Bonat Blanc. <laughs> I think Benoit. his name is Beauregard. <laughs> Beauregard Blanc. <laughs> Do either you two have stuff you want to talk about this movie that we might not have touched on yet? We want to talk about we want to talk about the Academy Award nominated actress in this movie oh, that isn't Rosalind Russell. I know we, we touched her briefly, but we we can we can talk about her a bit more because she's she's. I'll save I'll save my comments for Gooch. All right. Well, I feel like she comes from a different movie. Personally, she walks in from a completely different movie. And I don't know if it's a better as someone who didn't like this movie. I don't know if it's a better or worse movie, which says a lot about her performance to me. Is that I do not know if I would like the movie she's from more, and I hated this. <laughs> she does. I don't. She did kind of remind me of that, and I don't really know how to explain it. It's like her style of acting felt so different from everybody else's. It felt and kind I of Urkel to me. It was like kind sitcom. of Urkel. It was it was <laughs> sitcom. I think is a good way to describe it. And I, I maybe it's just because like all the other women in the movie too are like very glamorous and affected, and she's just like this nerd. Her name she's is like Gooch. She's like it literally has the take the glasses off makeover. It's she's like the Amanda please girl from the Amanda show. That's what she wrote. Penelope Tate. Yeah, she's like, she's like, where's Mame? Where, where's my, my 
she does remind me. She's like, move, please. I have to meet Amanda, please. Kale, have you watched the Amanda show? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we have to bring in the dancing lobster. Uh, Y'all seem to be having a good time, though, so... If you knew who we were talking about, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you should, you should go go right now. You'll, you'll see it. Be like, Penelope oh, okay. Tate. Yeah. I, you'll be like, oh, and you might need an Amanda judgment, but you'll be like, oh, OK. She really. Yeah. To, for context, it's Amanda Bynes playing the character. <laughs> and there's all, there's all these moments where they almost meet, but they don't. And she's like, I want to see Amanda. There and I, I it's really funny because I don't think I've thought about this character for like 10 years. And I, no. it, I was like, what does this remind me of? And then right now I was like, oh, it's the Amanda Please girl. Her website, Amanda Please, and she like shows the security guard and she's like, This is my website, AmandaPlease.com. <laughs> you can visit AmandaPlease.com. I wonder if it's still up. I oh maybe. Wait, well, <laughs> I feel like we should not be talking about this show in such a positive light. <laughs> Well, we can talk about Amanda Vines in a positive way. That's true. Not the people behind the camera or the other half of the Ann Josh. (laughs) That also is on the show. Oh, it just redirects you to Nick.com. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Was this tied into Drake and Josh? Yeah, Drake and Josh started on Amanda Show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Amanda Show itself, I believe, was a spinoff of all that. Yes. I never had cable. I didn't watch these shows. I was too well, busy watching Liberty's Kids. I didn't have cable. I watched Liberty's Kids. I didn't have cable while Amanda show was on, but I did have a babysitter who had cable, so that's how I watched mm. the Amanda show. <laughs> See, whenever we had cable, we watched TV Land. So I did watch we, a lot of TV Land, too. We watched Amanda. <laughs> okay, but beyond the Amanda show and Goose, is there anything else with this movie? <laughs> Imagine if Gooch was played by Rosalind Russell. It's <laughs> a dual or a role. Dual role. I mean, in that case, she would have had to win the Oscar. You can't, you can't turn down a dual there, role. Twenty nineteen Academy. You should remember that. Sorry, there are a couple <laughs> characters I'd be fine with Russell doing a dual role for. I think it. I would have any character the besides the Chinese. No, the Japanese butler. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, any character besides that. No. 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 But like if. If it was her and like her southern rival, I that would have made that part of the movie a lot better. If she had been acting against herself on stage in that one segment, I that would have been I was hilarious. gonna say that was that I know I was saying earlier, like my favorite scene was this nice little scene, but that was probably my actual favorite scene. It was good comedy with the jangles. I always like when old movies use sound design for jokes. Um I was just singing Rain is the king at that, but this was pretty funny. Thought it was a good bit. Good bit. You get credit. Madam Mame. I kept accidentally calling, like, I kept Googling this movie Madam Mame and I could never find anything. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's Auntie Mame. It's Auntie Mame. Which, did you guys think this was going to be something different? Did you think it was going to yeah. be like, yeah, you already know. You already know. Well, I knew it was supposed to be a comedy. At least, well, no. I also thought it might be something different, too. I thought it, be, it might be a little uh, The Graduate type of thing. Oh, that's not what I was. No. Oh. That's not what I was thinking at all. I was thinking like like Song of the South. Oh, yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> um, all right, do you have anything else you want to talk about with this movie? No. Two and a half hours 
Oh, we didn't really talk yeah. about the set design. They changed the set 11 times. That's what I'm... What if... The, the set is good, but I thought maybe one of us would be the production design. Okay, sorry. Not me. Not me. No, no I don't know. I'm not... I'm <laughs> my not apologies. No, it's okay. I just thought it might come <laughs> up later. That's why I didn't bring it up. Um, but, yeah. Um, it is a very nice set design. I actually, again, I really like... I like... Not her house. I mean, her house is fine. Whatever. I really like her... Uh, I like the department store. At Christmas. Not the set that they're constantly reinventing. The one no. that's probably just a stock. The store pack. is really cool. The store is cool. I like the store. Okay. It's a good, it's a good store. Is this sponsored by Macy's? <laughs> I did just order some shoes from Macy's right before this. this Black is Friday. A... I need to buy a new laptop. I don't think they sell. I don't think they sell this at Macy's. What? <laughs> What did you say? I don't think he's a laptop series. Wow. I know. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I've been searching all night. And I can't find anything. All righty. Nominations. Let's go. Well, it's Sarah's job, so go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to go straight in. <sighs> All right. I'm on vacation brain, even though I only get one day off. All right. Best picture. Best actress for Rosalind Russell. Best supporting actress for Becky Cass, who played Booch. Best art direction. Best cinematography color. Best editing. You know, before I give my answer, I got to say, because you just said Gucci, and I realized what we need is we, we have two options here. For fan fiction about this. I have her House of Gucci about her inheriting the house. House of Gucci. Or more importantly, a crossover fanfic where Gooper from last week's episode <laughs> <laughs> cheats on his wife with Gooch. <laughs> um as for winner, um, I kind of handed it out already. I don't really like anything about this movie, but Rosalind Russell never won an Oscar. Uh, and she should have, she wasn't even nominated for his Girl Friday. So off her, and she's good in this. Like she, she tries to make this work as much as they can, even though it doesn't work for me, but uh, it's gotta be Rosalind Russell. Like the movie belongs to her. And even if I didn't like it, I can respect the fact that clearly this was a big hit at the time. And you guys both liked it more than me, that she must be doing something right. <laughs> so, um, Rosalind Russell, but if you guys can give it to what's his face for um, paid in place because of ref from West Side Story, I can give it to her because of his girl Friday. So, <laughs> um, yes, I will also give it to Rosalind Russell for this movie, not for any other movie, because I wow. thought she Anti-his was good. Anti his girl Friday. Hate it. Hate that movie. I'm just kidding. I love it. Um. <laughs> I thought you better. I thought she's great. I think I think that her I this is, you know, telling on me, but I think the writing was so sharp and I thought that how she delivered it was so good. And I just feel like it worked. I feel like this is like I don't know if it's because she's not playing off of somebody who's equally as strong in this movie, but I feel like she's at that same like wittiness level to me. All right. I usually watch this Girl Friday at the Music Box like last week, so I'm like, but it's okay. 
I can see where you're coming from. Especially because it is more all on her here. So. Now, Caleb's going to give us his gooch take. I have a gut gooch. feeling. Gooch, 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 gooch. <laughs> is Rosalind Russell amazing in this? Yes. Does she carry the entire film? Yes. However, I was planning on doing this for our next segment because I had no idea that she was nominated. So I have to do it now. Peggy Case as, or Peggy Cass as Gooch. I loved Gooch. She was my favorite character in the movie. Every time she said something, I broke out laughing. Her Dr. Pepper line is genuinely something I'm going to quote from now on. It sounds to me like uh, you got to go on YouTube and look up uh, Penelope Tate uh, compilation (laughs) to get more perfect. (laughs) Get your gooch fix. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I'm hearing you're right. You're giving Peggy Cass an an Oscar for the role of gooch. Okay. Yes. I I love gooch. (laughs) All right. Well, then what uh, nomination would you add? Because gooch. Already has a nomination now. Apparently, a win. I guess. <laughs> uh, Let's go, Gooch. Production design wasn't nominated, right? It was. It was nominated. nominated. It was. Ah, none of us picked production design. I <laughs> problem. So it was good that my, you brought it up. It's good. <laughs> my love of my love of Gooch jumped over several things that I should have given it. Honestly, <laughs> um, wow. Okay, what am I going to give this now? Gooch, 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 gooch. This is gooch way, way. for a second time. If they did, people, if they did people's choice popular, best popular, it would be, be gooch every year. Um, I, I do want to say, wait, wait, before you, sorry, I just thought another reason for me for Rosalind Russell, which sounds bad, is I looked at what I want to live is about, and to me, that seems like a much better movie. So if we give it, <laughs> if Rosalind Russell went to actress, then I want to live qualifies for this podcast. <laughs> Well, apparently she was like obviously Susan Hayward was like the front runner, but apparently Rosalind Russell was like really in kind of in second place. So well, it makes sense. She's probably overdue at this point to win, right? Isn't this like her third or fourth nomination? I don't know. Or I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It's I'm her fourth going... nomination. Sorry, go on. Her final. I, since everything that I would nominate it for, it got a nomination for like editing, uh, art direction, all that stuff. I'm going to give things you mentioned you like that you wasn't sorry. Sorry, I'll stop. Oh, no, give me, give me some help. Uh, well, I won't tell which one these are mine, but you said that you liked the hairstyling and you said that you liked, well, you didn't say you liked the costumes, but I presume none of us have issues with the costuming in this movie. I did like the costumes. All those are true. I still think I'll give it what I'm about to give it. And I think solely based off of the comedy, the banter, the visual gags, all of those, which I think are very good. Um, so basically everything except for the structure, which also isn't bad. Just those are the reasons I'm going to give it this, which I never give movies. I'll give this script um, adapted script uh, because I think this is a very funny movie and I appreciate that it has a bunch of different types of comedy, verbal comedy, physical comedy. Um, Comedy within the editing. And Sarah, what would you give it? All right. Mine's going to be controversial, but I have, I'm going to back it up. So I was going to give it screenplay. And then I thought about how comedies work, especially a comedy like this. It's the sum of its parts. 
I am going to give it director. I Be- thought about that. Yeah. I just feel like a comedy, like a comedy can have a great script, but a movie like this where it's so quick and the dialogue needs to land perfectly, I think the director really like the director really needs to hone in on it. Okay. Um as the person on this podcast who did not like the movie and hearing my co-hosts give it best adapted screenplay and best director, both of which are very big award nominations. <laughs> Uh, um, I I hated this movie. Really, did not like it. That said, nice gowns, best costumes, <laughs> like, beautiful I gowns, nice gowns. Yeah, beautiful gowns. I can't I can't be mad about the costumes. <laughs> they looked nice. Like they're really great costumes. So yeah, best costumes. Then you guys want to know what we're doing next time? In nineteen fifty nine? No, no. no. Because next time uh, is Christmas. Oh. Christmas. Christmas. I think I was more excited for 1960. <laughs> it's not even the 60s. We just going, jump over a year. <laughs> we're jumping over a decade. We're going to the 1970s. Film we're talking about came out in 1970 at the. I'm sorry, I don't have this open. <laughs> I said I was going to open it beforehand. At the 43rd Academy Awards. And just like last time we had a Christmas special, don't worry. It'll be part one of another time. So we won't need to talk about 1970 that much because we'll go back to this Oscars eventually. <laughs> Quite some time from now because it's about, what, 12 years from this episode? But are you ready to hear what our Christmas episode is? Joe, give us a little drummer boy roll, please. <laughs> we will be watching Scrooge, directed by Ronald Neem. This is a musical version of Christmas Carol titled Scrooge. What the dickens have they done to Scrooge is the catchphrase of this. It stars Albert Finney as Scrooge and Alec Guinness as Jacob Marley. That is like the best tagline I've ever seen on a movie. What the dickens dickens have they done to Scrooge? So we will be talking about A Christmas Carol next time and this musical version that I have never seen. Caleb seems extremely excited about this. I love A Christmas Carol. This one has been on my radar for quite some time, but I haven't watched it yet. I I love Christmas Carol so much, y'all. I'm, I'm ex- so excited. I'm extremely yeah, familiar with A Christmas Carol. four nominations. What? Sorry, I'm extremely Carol. familiar with A Christmas Carol. Oh, I remember last year we were like, well, we're probably never going to talk about a Christmas Carol, so we can talk about if it's a wonderful life. And here we are now. Um, this has four nominations and no wins. Um, Ronald Neem is most famous for directing Poseidon Adventure. Uh, and yeah, this is a musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Um, will it be as good as the Muppets musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol? No probably way. Not. Probably not. You, you know what I thought would be a good, I'm not going to do, what would be a good bit to do with our Christmas episode is to be like, just at the end of it, just be like, now, guys, what if there was a Muppet version of this? Who would you cast as these characters? Let me just all watch a different We should do that for of, uh, every episode. Christmas Carol. Who, who do you think Gooch would be in the Muppet? No, Gooch is the one human. And Miss Piggy's answer me. Miss Piggy, obviously, yeah. Kermit well, falling the off the cliff. Sam the Eagle is the banker. What? Sam, Sam the Eagle's the banker. Yes. Who dies? Oh, is it the banker? Sam Neill? Oh, Fozzie. Fozzie dies. Oh. R.I.P. Fozzie, we'll miss you. Oof, I gotta say, Kermit. I gotta say, wait, wait, wait. Before, before, we, 
Go back to Scrooge. Sorry. I, I like doing the, the I just realized this has Allegheny as Jacob Marley. Seven years before, he plays Obi-Wan Kenobi and becomes a ghost ten years in the future with Empire Strikes Back. Wait, George which Muppets are we casting as the anti-Semitic parents at the end of the movie? Isn't that Sam Eagle? <laughs> no way. Sam Eagle would love everybody. That's probably Pepe. Oh, yeah. One of the Pepe ones Fran. that I don't like. Pepe Fran or... um, Well, no, Rizzo. Rizzo's probably like Patrick. Yeah, no, Rizzo's not anti-Semitic. Rizzo's, R- Rizzo's no, canceled. Rizzo's, the kid. Rizzo's, Rizzo's the kid. canceled. They don't use him anymore. R.I.P. Rizzo. <laughs> Wait, is should Gonzo Uncle Deadly are... be one of the people who are like anti-Semitic? No, sure. Anti Deadly is a gay icon. We love him. It's they just bring back That's Chris, no. Chris Cooper. No. They just wanted to add. They just wanted to add another. Wait, he's gay. No, see, I didn't even know he was canonically gay. I he's just gay? Like, was picking up on vibes. Gay. He's not canonically gay, but in the most recent show, he like is clearly like the Stanley Tucci to. Meryl Streep of Miss Piggy. You know what I mean? Like Devil Wears Prada type of thing. Totally. Yeah. I was about to say, Stanley Tucci straight. <laughs> I feel like off the rails. I feel like the nephew would be Walter because they don't really use Walter anymore. They didn't time skip. Jim Parsons. No, obviously Walter, <laughs> even though we already decided that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's a cozy spoiler alert in theaters now. Um, no, um, obviously, Gooch is. Walter, it's Amanda, please. <laughs> no, here's what we do. please. <laughs> so we get rid of we get rid of the Japanese butler and we replace it with the Swedish chef. But also that means the entire apartment is Swedish themed, not like Asia themed. <laughs> That's okay. I, I like that one. That's good. I'm Danny Vincent. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Vids for all my takes on all the movies. I'm going to commit myself to something right now, like Sarah has done in the past on this podcast, and say that I am going to try to marathon 15 Brennan Fraser films in December. We will see if that actually happens. I am not confident I'll be able to finish in time for The Whale, but also I presume The Whale will get re-released around Oscar time, so I could just skip it the first go-around and then catch it in February or whatever. Or just, um, or just give it no matter what. It's fair, but I don't know. <laughs> Knock on wood that it doesn't bother for this podcast. Um, but yeah, and then you also listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. We have a very special Christmas episode planned, along with our Incredibles episode, which we have not recorded yet, but should be coming out pretty soon. Um, so yeah. I am Caleb from Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, All New 52, and Star Wars Therapy, some of which I do with our editor, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. If Joe was a Muppet, what Muppet would he be? <laughs> scooter. He's the tech guy. That'll be our easy. next episode of Hot scooter. Trash. I'm going to just go. Scooter. And... It's easy. Come on. It's got to be Scooter. I'm going like, to have to pull a very like deep cut Muppet. What does he Joe play again? Be. What does he play again? Guitar. Which is, is an electric man that plays guitar? I Dr. think Teeth? Floyd plays guitar. Wait, Martin no, 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 no. The. Uh, the girl plays guitar. No, no, no. Who's she plays girl? bass. She plays bass. Is she bass? <laughs> You're like, thought, no, don't say Doesn't that. she play the guitar solo in their version of Bohemian Rhapsody? This does not matter. I will get back to you next week with which Muppet Joe is. Stay tuned <laughs> for next episode. <laughs>
Well, our next episode isn't next week. Our next episode will come out on Christmas Day. So it's our Christmas episode. So you can find me on Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Knopf. You can find me on Instagram uh, at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-A-Y-29. Um, you can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, um, Twitter, Snub Club Pod, and Instagram. <laughs> somebody's, get a hive, guys? somebody's got Should we get a hive right? or a Mastodon? <laughs> Should we get one of those? Should we get on that? Let us um, know. <laughs> and Instagram, yeah. Snub Club Podcast. Janice does play lead guitar. Ooh, That's crazy. Right. She's totally All right. okay. Well, join us next time when we jump ahead 12 years. Call us boyhood after the way of water, whatever you want to call us. Um, we're gonna jump ahead 12 years to find out what the dickens they have done to Scrooge. See you on Christmas. Bye. Bye. Why don't we just have a Muppets podcast? <laughs>